Can you imagine what it feels like to be a Canadian soccer player as Peter Vanagas blows the whistle? It's official. Canada, 2000 World Cup champions. How does that sound? You're listening to the Northern Football Podcast with Peter Galindo and Thomas Neff. Yes, it's episode 50 of the Northern Football Podcast. I'm Peter Galindo with Thomas Neff in the same room to not only celebrate 50 episodes, Thomas, but to also record our post-match show following yet another Canadian win that we only just returned from. That's right, Peter. An amazing accomplishment uh, to reach on this podcast. 50 episodes. Uh, and only fitting that, like you said, we're recording in person again after 30 or so episodes in your apartment in downtown Toronto, especially after a huge win over the U.S., which could be the biggest, uh, and obviously Canada continues to be the best in CONCACAF for many reasons. Um, the podcast was created for nights like this, moments like that's this, and that's what crazy things make us do. We want to keep growing the show for the next 50 episodes and and beyond. If you're interested in sponsoring or advertising an ad, DM one of us and we will surely get back to you on that. And want to give another thanks because we are getting near 250 combined uh, ratings on Apple and Spotify. More milestones, just like the Canadian men's national team, clearly. Um, a reminder on that subject, Thomas that the Northern Football Podcast is partnered with Northern Tribune and Canucks Abroad. Check them out at northerntribune.ca and canucks-abroad.ca, respectively, and follow them on Twitter at North Tribune and at Canucks underscore abroad. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss any episodes. If your platform of choice is Apple or Spotify, then leave us a rating. If you prefer Apple, then drop us a review as well and follow us on Twitter at Northern Football. Let's get into this, Thomas. Uh, another 2-0 Canadian win, this time over the U.S., just like we saw in October 2019. This time, though, at Tim Hortons Field. This occurred at in Hamilton. Really amazing atmosphere, given that it was only half capacity, or so they say. You claim that it might have been more. We may get into that. Uh, Canada is now the second team to start the first 10 games in a hex slash ocho without losing after Mexico did it during the 1998 cycle. Kyle Laren opened the scoring and became the men's national team's all-time leading scorer as a result. Then Sam Atakubi rounded it off in resounding fashion for their first win over the U.S. in World Cup qualifying in 42 years, Thomas. So... We'll start off with a couple of very broad but big picture questions from our listeners. Uh, Vince Alvarado asked, Grant Wall mentioned it earlier, but do you guys agree that our story is the best in world football right now? Similarly, Dan Clark asked, we're the best team in CONCACAF now, right? Is it okay to say that out loud now? So, uh, Thomas, what do you say to that? Well, Dan, it 100% is. Uh, The results guarantee that. This might just be uh, the biggest moment. And the reason I say that is because it's the first win over the U.S. in World Cup qualifying since 1980. Yes, against the U.S. was Nations League, uh, but that was different. Much different. That national team uh, did not have the superpower it now does. And there was certainly not as much eyeballs. Uh, Look, I tweeted it, but I completely agree. This is the best story in World Cup qualifying worldwide. If you look at stories that um, make fans and media uh, get, you know, get interested in, you look at Iceland, Iceland, for example, Mm -hmm. the Euros, you look at smaller countries like Croatia. Yeah. Canada has been like a sleeping giant. In a lot of ways, yes. In a lot of ways. uh, Being a first world country, the size of the country as well, and a team that had to qualify to get into the Ocho and like you mentioned off the top Peter is undefeated after 10 fixtures and has the best uh, goals against record and was also the national team that scored the most goals out of every single international team in 2021 that's probably true yes because they scored a lot in the first round for sure exactly exactly against Bermuda and whatnot (laughs) so but given all of that this is 100% a story that Outlets like uh, The Guardian and BBC 
and, and even other outlets are getting interested in mm-hmm. um, and someone needs to start doing a documentary on Canadian soccer because yeah. sooner rather than later this will be that team that everyone remembers in 2022 and I'm literally phrasing Herman directly when he got the job in 2018 uh, and look I didn't believe him then uh, but I believe him now Hard not to. Let's get Amazon into that dressing room. I'd actually kind of like to see cameras in there for some of those reactions and, and, and some of the celebrations. It would actually be quite cool, I think, to see. Um, I, I don't think there's any doubt now that it's the best story, at least in international football right now. Because is there really anybody else that's experienced not just this sort of meteoric rise, but just consistency throughout the whole thing? Because Thomas, I had to say this in both of my takeaways. People who are new to this program, who are new to CONCACAF, who are new to the whole World Cup qualifying setup, this is never supposed to happen. CONCACAF is built, and I feel like it exists. It was created by some deity to eventually have teams slip up at some point, to challenge them mentally. And for Canada to go through 10 games, it's not supposed to happen. Even Mexico and the U.S. occasionally experience slip-ups. Canada hasn't yet. So that alone makes it the best story in world football just based on the consistency as well as the fact that it is also a likable team and it's a team that very clearly can have fun but also get down to business when they need to and that is a very lethal combination at times it really is and look if you haven't paid attention at all uh, i'm very excited to see what the tv numbers are because Mm. i think this could beat the NFL. From a Canadian perspective... Ooh, I don't think so. From a Canadian perspective, this story is bigger than something that is American-based. But do you understand the media juggernaut that's behind the NFL? They get very good viewership in the playoffs. If they got close to it, I'd be pretty impressed. I don't think it's going to beat it, though. It would, it would be impressive, but I don't think it's going to happen. The only reason I say that it could happen is because... Now it's on mainstream television, and this national team is now on the front page of newspapers, and every other major outlet is now covering the Canadian national team. Uh, Several of our colleagues who are reporting for, even in the press box today, there's a reporter from the New York Times. And yes, of course, they were there to cover the U.S. side of things. Yes. There was even a report from L'Equipe today. Oh, that's right. So That's right, I forgot about that. I think this is overall a bigger international story. Nationally, I, I could see that there's a difference, but nonetheless, whether you agree that it, it's bigger than other events going on right now, it's come close. Kind of has. Because um, I, I, I look at the game today, and unlike that Honduras game, which was only available, I think it was on East Ontario in 360, which contributed to them getting only, (laughs) and and I use that term loosely, about 620-something thousand viewers, which is still very, very good given the circumstances. The fact it was on all the main sports networks means that it probably got a little bit of a bump, especially with it being the U.S., with it being 3 p.m. on a Sunday. I'm sure the number did very well. Going up against the NFL is tough, and it was championship weekend, which is massive. So if it came close, I'll be super, super impressed with that. And it would also speak, though, to the rising popularity of the national team, too. Moving over to yet another big picture question here from Alex at Bad Wav, who just simply asked with one word, Qatar. <laughs> Listen, I said it, Thomas, after a post-match show against Mexico, and I think also after Costa Rica as well in November, people asked, oh, surely we're qualifying now. And I wasn't willing to go all in until game number 10. Game number 10 was tonight, though, or today, I suppose. There is now only four games left. They've hit the benchmark I wanted them to hit before judging properly. Now I think I can say absolutely yes, they're going. For me, it was the halfway point. But yeah, I mean, I said it after the Panama game. But for some reason, Herman was asked about playing in Qatar as if they already had qualified. And Herman gave a pretty interesting answer. Let's take a listen. I'm just putting my fingers in my ears when you say that. I don't want to hear that at all. I know what you're saying mathematically, but look, until those points are in the bag, Michael, we we are 100%, and and I'm not even allowing the players to talk about the table. We've just got to go into this 
again with the same sort of attitude. Start again. El Salvador's a cup final. The second we take our eye off that and we start thinking about the maths, you know, I think that's that, that's the mentality that that's going to hurt us. Sorry to jump in there, but it's it's definitely a, something that's close to my um, to my philosophy going through these games. Sorry. I know you can't physically see it, but in that press conference, he, he actually put his ears he, over, hands over his ears, did, and yeah, nodded yeah. his head. So, yeah. uh, in in a no uh, uh, notion. So, he doesn't want to believe it uh, because it's obviously the journalists, the media, uh, who love this storyline. Of course, but, uh, they have one and a half feet in Qatar already. Only half sure. of their feet is is left. Uh, but for them, it, it's not just that. I'd even argue like a quarter of their foot's left. 100%. 100%. But it's also good uh, because a lot of people were saying that today might be a draw. Myself, Myself included. And you included, yes. I just thought that both teams would play, you know, to a draw. And then because the Central American games were 100% priority. This was more of the marquee game, but with already having proven themselves in Nashville... Given the circumstances, it benefited both teams. Yes. Nonetheless, the fact this team just keeps steamrolling through opponents and not rotating, always playing their best foot forward, never taking any nights off, is impressive. Because even the best teams, Peter, in the world, take nights off. They do. I will say this. The U.S., was the last spot on the bingo card for Canada to fill. And what I mean by that is they have done everything in the last 10 months. They have exercised the demons against Haiti and knocked them out of World Cup qualifying in June, making amends for what happened at the Gold Cup in 2019. They got to their first Gold Cup semifinal in 14 years. They proved that they can overcome adversity, mentally adjust, and adjust tactically in-game as well this is against marquee opponents, right? Against the U.S., against Mexico. Yes, they lost both of those games, but they showed that at least they're not just going to crumble at the first sign of adversity, right? Then they go into the Ocho. They get a point on the road against the United States. Probably got outplayed in that first half and maybe deserved to, to go behind, which they did, of course, uh, and maybe even by two goals based on how well Brennan Aronson was playing that be. game. You should get points uh, on the road if you can and then yeah, win your home games exactly. and then exactly what they've done but, against the top two dogs. But continuing on this theme, they then get a point against Mexico, which no one saw coming and deserved to win that game, by the way. Then, in November, they get six points from six, including against Mexico. The last thing they had to do was get a win in Central America, especially in Honduras. They did that. The very last thing, which I feel was quite minor at the end of the day in the grand scheme of things, but I think for the players it meant a lot, was beating the U.S. in this new context, with this newfound confidence and tactical identity. Because the win over the U.S. at BMO Field, yes, it was a resounding win. Yes, they showed that, hey, listen, we can do this. But it was, it was a, a much different of, time. It was, a, it, But it was the spark of... Hold on a moment. There is something. There is something. So that was the last thing they had to do was beat the U.S. in this context. They did that. That's why it was important. Definitely, definitely. And when you look at, you know, just how far this program has come. Peter, we've talked about this so many times, but the amount of players that weren't in that 2019 game compared to now, completely different. Yeah, and in much different form, different. everything. Yeah, e even the American players. Like that day, they were lackluster they were flat they were second best at everything you could argue in this game they were the better side in terms of actually getting the ball to the box once they got to the box that's a completely different story because they were at the end of the day out chance in terms of expected goals although maybe a bit inflated by that double save from matt turner by the atakubi goal at the end but up until that point it was pretty much even but canada was more decisive in the one moment they got and they deserved the win you can make the argument that because they scored in the opening 10 in the last five minutes, what happens in those, you know, 80 minutes or so. But there's a lot of people saying that the 2019 game was a luck win. Uh, I don't think anyone is saying that right now. And they did it without Davies and Ashtakio, which I keep forgetting about. I literally just forgot about it right now as I was talking about that. Isn't that wild? <laughs> it is, it is. But, now, but again, that's the thing. You're taking these guys for granted. I mean, the U.S. made such a big deal, even though they didn't have to, no. when they lost Tim Weah. No, which, which I found so weird, because he wouldn't even probably be a starter for them regularly anyways. But regardless, um, 
in, in the wider context again, Thomas, uh, Darren Fidelichuk asked, is this win bigger than the win against Mexico? So what do you say? Bigger than the win against Mexico, or is that still the cream of the crop? Well, you know, I was sitting beside my good friend, our good friend, I should say, Alexander Ganjerusic, and we had this conversation at halftime. I still think, in terms of news, the Mexico win, for whatever reason, and I don't know why, was more on the news. Was 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 had bigger impact, bigger, you know. But because the U.S. is Canada's direct rival, like there is no doubt, playing at home, mm-hmm. given that the U.S. are in second place and Canada's in first place. Yeah. And if the U.S. won, they could overtake Canada. Mm-hmm. Given all that circumstance. Mm-hmm. This is the bigger moment, and also not cons- uh, considering as well that when the Ocho started, I, I actually am I'm, I'm guilty of this, but everyone had the U.S. at the top. <laughs> I had Mexico Winning. at the top personally. But yeah, I had the U.S. just because just how much players they have playing in the top five leagues. But for me, it's not about the quantity, more so the quality. Especially when they're always injured somehow, which is Literally, really weird. In terms by of the way. minutes, just two guys, David, David. This is why this this win is just so much massive. And now that it's actually in Canada, I feel like people will now think, okay, well, you know, maybe Nashville wasn't because you have to remember. I think Canada were very bittered by that draw in Nashville, and some of you might be thinking, wait, why? It's a draw against Nashville. It's, sorry, it's a draw in Nashville against the U.S. They should be happy about that. But in terms of possession, Peter, the U.S. had a lot more possession. So, and in both games. Exactly. Yeah. So I think Canada weren't too happy about the results. But now, I mean, there, there's absolutely no question. Yeah, it, it, it's an interesting one because if you watch that game from cover to cover and you don't just watch the key moments... Because at the end of the day, as great as Milan Borian was when he needed to be... And the pants. Um, and the pants. <laughs> the pants made a return. Alistair Johnson's probably thrilled about that. Despite that, yes, they controlled the game. Yes, there were moments in transition when they looked really dangerous and there was a lot of open space to exploit. You could definitely tell that the U.S. midfield was a lot more match fit in rhythm, had the chemistry down, everything, compared to Kay and Osorio. But... They still found a way, especially the back three, to limit the danger and to make sure that they didn't get a lot of high-quality chances. They had one, possibly two, clear-cut chances, one of which came off the set piece, which was the amazing Morian save off of McKenney. Uh, the other one, I believe it was I believe it was Pulisic in, in the box in the first half at some point. I think that was the other really big chance, but that got blocked. So one open play chance, which was really their only clear look in the game... Yeah, 100% take that. And as long as you take your chances and go the other way, which Canada always seems to do when they play in transition and they're very good at playing in transition, that's what matters here. Which leads me nicely into our next point here. Your thoughts on the Laren and David partnership, because this has been a polarizing topic among the listeners and in some cases in the media. I have always said that I think it can work in certain situations, maybe not all the time, just because of how similar they are as players. But here's what John Herdman said when he was asked about those two starting together in back-to-back games, which, by the way, before this window, hadn't started together since the first Honduras match in September. So here's what Herdman said about them. When we heard Alfonso wasn't coming in, then the first thing we said, well... You know, this is going to give more time for Kyle and Johnny to play in more central areas and, and to work that partnership. And I just think in transition, John, you've seen it. They've been lethal. They've started to build that uh, understanding of and, and predicting where they're going to be. I think you're starting to see that, that, that reaction time close where they just know. They know where they're going to be um, as, as they get on the half turn. So that... that has definitely improved and that, that's been one of the silver linings of missing some key players that would have normally played maximum minutes. So, Thomas, your thoughts on how those two performed together? Now that it's worked not just once, but twice, why change it? And with Adekube, we'll talk to him a little later, but just want to touch on this point. Mm-hmm. When Adekube makes that left back spot his own, it's almost imperative now that Laren and David are playing so good together. 
my dream could finally come true. Because I don't know if you remember, Peter, but 10 months ago, I said that I want to see Davies, David, and Laren play up front together. Because <laughs> it hasn't happened either in a while or ever. It has once or twice in certain situations. But it hasn't but been effective. It hasn't been summer. Consistently, it hasn't been. Right, right. But now that it's finally getting momentum with those two players. And by the way, congratulations to Kyle Laren. Top scorer. Yeah. Dwayne Rosario literally tweeted minutes after he scored that, which is great to see. So now that that's happening, I think we could have something heading in. And we had David Goss on the show, and he brought up a pretty good point that I want to allude to. This was the preview of what a World Cup game could look like for Canada. Because the U.S. are going to go to the World Cup without a doubt. As David and Laren continue to get more chemistry with one another... And the, potentially, the potential to move Davies up the field. This is something to be even more excited about than when the Ocho started. This partnership works really well together in situations like this. When they're in transition. When they have space to exploit. If you look at some of the goals that Laren and David score at club level. Or the goals that they're involved in. Whether they're assisting it. Whether they're focal in the build-up. It's always in those moments when they play quickly, vertically, whether it's in transition or not, but usually in transition. So this, these are the situations where they do work very nicely together. And despite the fact the U.S. saw so much of the ball and did outshoot Canada 13-8 to in the end, Laird and David offensively were still very effective. They had four shots combined with a combined expected goals of .89, which made up I believe off the top of my head, something like 85% of Canada's total output in the game. So that goes to show you how effective they were when they needed to be. But despite that, even if you take away their chances that they got onto, they were doing well to collect the ball, whether it was in their end or maybe further up the pitch, and then shifting it onto an unrushing Atakubi or Lorea or Buchanan, whoever. And then going the other way, and then finding that space to exploit as those guys ran the other way. And look, they needed to, because Buchanan had a not very good game. and He didn't, no. Kay and Osorio were good offensively against the trio of Musa, McKenney, and Adams. I would say Kay was not good at all in any facet. Defensively, maybe. But on offensively... The ball, no. On the ball, no. Offensively, offensively I should say, they, they did okay. Uh, but when Disagree, you, but anyway, continue. They had to step up, and they did, because Buchanan uh, and Kay did not do good, and it was really up to uh, the back the back four, back three. Which back is five. Always, which yeah. is always yeah. evolving. It's yeah. always yeah. evolving. Yeah. Yeah. Orion and those two. So when that happens, when you're missing key players, and you decide to rest someone like Atiba, when Ostrakio is not available, we'll talk more about him later, uh, and all these other situations happen, you have to rely on those two guys, and luckily uh, they delivered because after a great performance from the midfield last game and an outstanding performance from Buchanan, someone had to take the load, and that's exactly what happened with David and Larry. That it is. Um, so the, the other, I suppose, major talking point, at least after the game, um revolves around Atakubi because what a goal that was. My God. Um, watching that play out in real time in the press box was quite something because you, you figured at, at certain points, like, oh, okay, they're just going to hoof this out or, you know, they're going to do everything they can to time waste. I think it was uh, it was Kamal Miller who cleared it. And then Atakubi takes it down, gets past Miles Robinson. And then there's just a massive hole. Which, down by the, the way, he, he was exploited the whole game. I mean, even Larea was. When he had to defend in the open pitch, centrally, oh my God, him and Chris Richards were a train wreck. My yeah. God. Like, literally, the two times they had to be alert and win those balls, they did not do it, and it cost them goals on both occasions. But a terrific goal. But overall, once again, Adekubi did really, really well. So it and leads to a question, two questions, I suppose from our listeners mitch just has a simple comment hello not a question i just want to hear you be happy for sam atakubi on the pod because he is great hard to disagree with that uh but blair donnelly asks specifically with atakubi's performance does this push davies up front for good now surely he's cemented his spot at left back 
Yeah, I already said that that he's making a left left spot his his own, and with Davies now moving up, it could happen that Davies David Laren partnership that I was just talking about, and to your point, Peter, you said last episode that Adekubi was a stay at home left back against Honduras. And you have to be. I mean, that pitch mm-hmm. was horrendous. Mm-hmm. Honduras are still very dangerous in that in that in that trio that they had, even though it wasn't effective all night long. With the conditions at Tim Warren's field, Adekwe was running up and down the field, even connecting in some parts of the game with Buchanan uh, when Buchanan was you know starting to become more active. And you could tell that the U.S. was really really struggling with it. Uh, not to mention uh, on the first goal. That now that I'm speaking about the conditions, that wind tunnel. Matt Turner, you know, making the mistake, and, and the players not really, um, the American players would say, Canada took full advantage of that, and they must have done their homework because it paid off hugely. And speaking about golazos, Peter, that, for me, at a Kube goal, is a golazo. Yes. It's not better than a Davies goal. It's not, Dave, it's not better than a David goal, but I think it comes pretty close. Because one-on-ones in any sport... Yes is impressive they make the highlight reel they're the ones that sell out tickets and make you want to watch and all the stuff and for it to come from a left back not named davies that to me is uh, something impressive in its own and i'd be so su- well i wouldn't be surprised but how can herman take Adakube off now <laughs> well this from is now the thing. on you know this after, is the after thing, that, right? that, that performance no 100 percent, and this is what i agree with but in terms of Adekubi's performance as a whole, this is what's so interesting in that despite the goal, like even if he did not end up scoring that in the end, he still had a really, really good game on both sides of the ball because he was able to get forward a lot more. He was involved in the attack. He was getting some space in transition because Serginho Dest was pushing up high a lot and therefore there was space to exploit. And he was taking advantage of that from on one or two occasions. Did it come off all the time? No, but he still had his chances and defensively rock solid again. Like there was really no beating him on that left flank and it just reinforces how strong of a two-way fullback he is. So yeah, for now, definitely he's locked down that spot. Also helped that Pulisic was fucking awful. (laughs) Brendan Aronson was pretty good though and he was mostly on that side and still he held him in check. So kudos to him for that. Okay, so another question here from... Nicholas Ruder on the other big story from the game, which we've already discussed a couple of times. Um, in the conversation of world goalkeepers, where does Borian rank? He also mentions, also, is this really happening? I can't believe we're this close. No one can. So it's probably a, a bit of a stretch to say Borian's like among the world's best goalkeepers, but man, he's, he's tr- rapidly turning into one of their most important players. If not, you could argue these days, their most important player just based on how many points he's saved recently. Well, a listener, you know, brought up the question last episode. That's right. Yes. That's right. And is actually, he the top performer? Actually, a friend of mine, actually, the one that I, a guy that I, that I know from my early days, that if he was, if he, if he is becoming the best player in Canada, and it's hard to say that he hasn't been because if it wasn't for him, Canada could have gotten two points rather than six points. Yeah, that's in right. these two games. And that is crazy to think that a goalkeeper could be the front headline, considering. But they're important, man. No, no. Look, listen, man. You, you and I played, but the the most important thing here is because for Borjan, even though he wasn't playing in that Honduras game in 2012, he was still on the bench, mm-hmm. and I'm sure it must have been just as shitty, you know, to be on the bench, and for Lars Hirschfeld to receive eight goals. Also, the fact that this was his hometown game. His home, his hometown, Hamilton, homecoming, and on his dad's birthday. Exactly, and and, and Davies had his homecoming against um, in in Edmonton in January, even though he he wasn't very good, but you could tell Borian was was pumped because when he made that save in the forty second minute on Weston McKenney, just a couple minutes before halftime, he was fist pumping and, and the crowd loved it. Uh, which, by the way, I, I think wasn't twelve thousand, but uh, <laughs> I, mean, maybe, uh, I think you were deceived by by the people standing blocking all the socially distanced rows that were all empty. But that's neither here nor there. Yeah, no, but 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 I have to say, I mean, he's been exceptional. But we're, we're, we have ourselves a keeper at least until twenty twenty two. I would be comfortable saying 
maybe not against the Italy's and Germany's of the world, but against a decent team in the World Cup, or at least that similar to that, I can count on, on someone like Borjan to you know save us a couple points for sure. Certainly you can, based on recent evidence. On the subject of Borjan, though, it was another miraculous performance from the Canadian defense. That is the fifth clean sheet of the Ocho. They conceded .05 expected goals on 13 shots, only conceded, as I said, the one or two big chances clear-cut in the game. So what did you think of their showing as, as a defensive unit, specifically? They were really, really good, and I have to say, Miller was absolutely solid. Yeah, I had surprisingly. My, I had yeah. my doubts, uh, just because he's in preseason mode, Kennedy is not, Cornelius is not. Those guys are, are in season, and you know whatever the case is, in-season players will always have a bigger chance of performing in the big moments. Um, as someone like Piet, who came off injured, is not in preseason, but... Something different about Miller. It's almost like if Miller picked up right where he left off. He did not look out of place, um, and you know was pretty aggressive even, and sometimes taking taking over that Henry role. Yeah, <laughs> you know, just being super aggressive, being the but, agitator. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. But but you know, yeah. he was he was rock solid, and he's just one of those players that just sometimes is not noticed because, listen, man, that back four, back five, back three. This is why they are the team in the Ocho that have allowed the least amount of goals because they are just so defensively sound. They, they don't make the headlines as much as the Davies, Davies, and Larens, but they are just as important. Here's the major improvement, really. This team did not defend like this as a unit, not just the defense. I'm talking the midfielders, the forwards, all that. This cohesively, this... With, with this level of commitment before 2021. That was their biggest shots. downfall. They were blocking shots left and right. But th- this was their biggest downfall. This is why they couldn't get over the hump consistently. Now they're doing it, and they're getting over the hump consistently. It's not a coincidence. You can score as many goals as, you, as you'd like. As Slan Ibrahimovic, ask him about his LA Galaxy experience. He'd score three, but his team would let uh, would give four. up four. Yeah. So, so you can you can score as many goals as you can, and and Canada certainly has you know the goals. But if you're not solid defensively and you don't have players, literally, quite literally, putting their body on the line, as several times happened in the first half and the second half, where defenders, midfielders were blocking shots mm-hmm. and doing whatever they could, clearing the ball out. Yep. Sometimes that doesn't happen to some teams. Sometimes no. midfielders are just way too lazy and you know they don't track back or they look at themselves as just midfielder and they don't have to do that defensive work, which you yeah. know obviously, uh, like you said, has made a huge difference because Herman continues to trust the same three, four, five guys. Yeah, and that makes a difference. And it, it's, it's something that a lot of people in the mainstream, not the hardcore, but haven't talked about enough. If we ever get John Herman on the show, and, you know, I'll, I'll try. It's quite, possible. It's quite I, I, possible. I will try. Don't you worry. I would love to ask him, how on earth has he gotten this sort of buy-in, this sort of tactical cohesion, this sort of chemistry that you only really see on select club teams? Because you're training every day, you're together every day, you see your fellow teammates and coaches more than your own family. That's the only way you get to this level of, of discipline. I would love to know how he has helped, like, um, enabled them to get to this point and how they got into this point because it is so rare for a national team to be this in sync with each other. Anyways, um, on the subject of commitment from multiple players defensively, the midfield was a major talking point. I mentioned on our Twitter spaces before the game that Richie Larea would probably help form a trio at times, but that didn't happen. What did you make of the double pivot of Kayan Osorio against the U.S. trio? The U.S., when you have Musa, who plays yep. for Valencia, mm-hmm. Adams, who plays at RB Leipzig, yep. and McKinney, who plays at Juventus. All of them pretty much every week. Exactly. Yep. Against two MLS midfielders who are out of season. Overall, comparing you know the circumstances, yes, it wasn't a disaster. No, in, the, um, in that it didn't cost them anything. It wasn't one of those things where it was either a negative or a positive, right? Mm. How you say, you know, it was amazing or it was a disaster. Somewhere in between. 
but you know they were I'd say better offensively than defensively and again I just think they they didn't rely heavily on those players because obviously Atiba was you know decided to be rested uh, which I thought was a smart choice and Ostaki looks like he's being slotted in for that third game so yeah I, I think overall the the double pivots would I think that's a double pivot that Canada should continue to use Maybe not against top-heavy teams. Yes, against teams that uh, use a but, trio like the U.S. Teams, yeah. But smaller teams. I mean, yeah. double pivot, for sure. I mean, why not? Yeah, especially when you lean on the flanks as much as they do. Uh, provided you have all-action midfielders who are going to be able to cover and do the work, which sometimes the, they don't really do. Kay was obviously at a massive disadvantage because he had not played competitively. Same with Osorio. But with Kay... One of his major strengths is his distribution, specifically his progressive passing, his ability to break lines. Because he was in a double pivot with Osorio, he then becomes the de facto deep-lying playmaker because he's the only one capable of progressing the ball under pressure, breaking lines in that context. Because as good as Osorio is in some aspects, he's not going to be a guy who breaks lines with his progressive passing. It's just not something he does. So... The responsibility fell to Kay. There were times when he did all right, but you could see that the lack of match fitness caught up to him because he wasn't getting the right weight on some of his passes. He was giving the ball away cheaply as a result. Defensively, him and Osorio were really, really good, though. They do deserve credit in that regard in that they were always covering for the fullbacks. They were marking the half spaces, which were going to be a major talking point. Tom Bogert mentioned this. David Goss mentioned this on our last show. John Herdman pointed it out in his pre-match press conference on Saturday. And they did their job. They didn't give Brendan Aronson or Christian Pulisic too much to work with in terms of clear-cut shots from those areas. Um, So job well done in that regard. Distribution-wise, they were probably always going to struggle, especially against that midfield. And they did. Um, But as you said, didn't cost them. So you can kind of give them a pass in this regard. High risk, high reward, man. Yep, exactly. We did get a question from WSoccer.ca at WSoccer.ca. How did Kay and Osorio manage to successfully nullify McKenny, Musa, and Adams? I wouldn't say it was those two specifically, but Herman did address the issues, I suppose, Canada faced in playing against that American trio. This is what he said about it. There wasn't a, a tactical issue for me in terms of you know, matching Greg's structures. It was more about the individual quality of Musa and 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 McKenny, who really came to play today. Like the, you know, it was it was about being more controlled, getting more zonal, so that you know we always had another cover or support within five, ten yards of of McKenny. So whenever pressure went on, there was cover to him. And you've seen that with Richie, Ali, and Tejan, how they started managing him on the side of the pitch. We just we couldn't let him take control of the game again. Over to a few listener questions here on the same subject, Thomas, to close out this section before we preview El Salvador. Aru Yan asked, what do you think John Herdman meant with his Marcelo Flores teaser? Does it mean that there are dual nationals except Stefan Mitrovic that are going to join our program and maybe Flores changing his mind and repping our program? To those who didn't hear it, this is what Herdman said. Just be proud that we were talking about football in this country in a way that we've got stars now. We've got young star players that are going to be around for a long generation. You know, I'm sure, you know, you've got players like young Marcelo Flores might be looking after this game and, you know, wondering whether he wants to play for Mexico or Canada. There's, you know, this is this is what we're starting to provoke across the world when these dual passport players looking at where they pledge their international futures. Two more questions on that same subject, Thomas. Uh, Spin at Spinels Can asked, how does Marcelo Flores and other dual nationals see this result and not commit to the program? And then Aiden Stenke asked, how do dual nationals like Flores, Mitrovic, and others not want to commit long-term to Canada after this? Best team in CONCACAF as of 2022, but our team is so young, we have so much more potential for the 2026 World Cup as well. I feel like you and I have talked about this quite a bit. I feel like no matter what Canada does, if there's a certain preference of a team that they want to play for, whether it's family reasons, what have you, results from their plan B or whatever sort of priority Canada gets doesn't move the needle too much. At least that's what I think. 
I'm gonna have a little fun with this one. Herman pulled that out of his pocket. <laughs> yeah, he, he wasn't because asked about this, he, by the way. Yeah, he wasn't asked about it. He just he just of, mentioned he just Flores kind of out of thin air. Yeah, 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 which was you know amazing uh, in, in that regard. Um, but how can Flores and others not take not take notice? I mean, come on. Yeah, uh, they they must take notice because, for sure because it's one of those things. And if I had to do an analogy, I had a teacher back in high school. However good you did, nothing was ever good enough, man. <laughs> you had a 90, 95, 95. Right, right. He'd always be complaining about something. For me, it's very similar with the dual nationals. I understand that Diaz is not a professional. I understand that Mitrovic is, you know, still not cracking that, that midfield depth. Um, well, his also club career is in limbo correct, right now because correct. he's trying to secure a move and there's right. so many Jefferson's different Jefferson's alone right? and, you know, he's, he's, yeah. he's very young, so he wants to... So there's so many scenarios and, and those are fine. But at some point, Peter, you have to ask yourself, what more can Herdman and company do? There's nothing because, else they can do. Because it's it's one of those things that's like, you can play the mind games, which, mm-hmm. you know, is completely fine. I think he, he kind of did that in the press conference. It possibly, yeah. Maybe that's why he did it, right? But, Playing more Herdman but, games. But, the, but the, that's the thing. I mean, at the end of the day, like... Guys, by the way, just to mention this, besides 2022, guys, it's over. <laughs> like, like I... I I think after 22, like, uh, it's going to be sad It's uh, for me, you know, specifically someone who grew up with the original World Cup format. Um, that I, I don't really like, personally, the 48 teams. But, hey, I mean, Canada should qualify for the end of its existence. I mean, uh, with, you know, that many CONCACAF teams getting in, it shouldn't be a problem. This 2022 team, um, as I said, is, is, is very soon for these guys to come in. Um, Nations League, that'll be the time. June. Right, June right. is right around the corner, man. Before you know it, it's here. That'll be the time to get them into camp, get them cap tied at least temporarily, because some rules mean they can still switch, provided they haven't filed a one-time switch, which in some cases they will have to do. Thomas, it, it's just a matter of personal preference at that point, right? Like Flores has family pressure to represent Mexico. He may like what Canada's doing, but as long as he has that emotional connection, emotions can really be powerful, right? 100%. And it, sometimes logic goes out the window in a lot of those cases. I'm not saying that it, it's illogical for him to go play for Mexico. If that's what he wants to do, that's his right. But in terms of what Canada can do, in terms of what more can they do, there's nothing else they can do. Because Herdman's been diligent with the conversations with dual nationals, checks in on them very regularly. They are getting the results on the pitch. They have an, an exciting squad. It's just a matter of, do they want to commit? Do they have yeah. them top of the list? And yeah. until right. their plan A's go away, that is probably going to end up being a toss-up for them. And let's also not lose our minds here, because if someone like Diash, for example, comes in, he's not necessarily better than Fraser. Not right now, no. But they're no, different right players. But they're what different I'm, players. What I'm trying to say is, they're not going to be guys who are going to be like instant impact players uh-huh. in the very near future because yeah. I had a conversation with um, somewhere near Witherspoon's camp and they still very much want him to come back. So Herman's thinking like right now, man. He's not thinking... Well, of course, the World he's Cup not is thinking, soon, right? He's not thinking like 2026 yet. Mm. Like people sometimes look ahead and whatnot and even heck, I mean, I'm guilty we both of this. Do. We both but, do. But yeah. we love to because it's just the, this is what the media loves, the projections, mm-hmm. the, you know, the... But it's not like someone, some of these players are better than the current players right now. And that's why someone like Corbiano was left off the roster. Because you have four wingers who are just ultimately better. Yeah, or just more priorities now just based on the amount of minutes they have and you know everything else. Okay, uh, there is one game left in the window. Despite that, even though it seems like the window's over because they got those two wins. But no, there is one more game. And it's against El Salvador in San Salvador on Wednesday night. Canada remains five points up, just a quick table update, on fourth place Panama entering that one, having beaten Jamaica tonight just after Canada played. A reminder that El Salvador have only lost once at home in the Ocho, which was 2-0 against Mexico. No other team has been able to claim all three points apart from them. So we'll start the section, Thomas, by going to a few listener questions on the same theme. Um... Stephen Vittori, of course, picked up a booking today, which means he's suspended for that match. So Matt Kipe asked, with Vittoria suspended, do you think it's a better idea for him to travel with the team to El Salvador or for him to fly to Portugal and get some early rest? The latter. If I am his club, when, he, when he's not going to be playing anyways, he's ruled out for the last game. 
for me, it's like the equivalence of he's not available for via injury or whatever. So, I mean, there's no point for him to be there. It's not like Canada, you know, can play him. Uh, and it's not like they don't have enough leaders in that locker room, even if he's not starting. The other thing, too, is we actually have some center backs that can play now, <laughs> besides just two or three. So, uh, there's that. Look, man, I don't like to disrespect any opponents. I have covered El Salvador. Uh, I have very good friends from El Salvador, but this game Canada should not struggle with, I don't think. Uh, and yes, they're being great at home, no doubt about it, but they are, besides Honduras, they are the next team to be mathematically eliminated. And They're very close, they're probably about a game away now. Correct, so I, I think that Canada should have uh, no issues here. And look, I've interviewed the sporting director of the Salvadoran Federation, I've interviewed Hugo Perez. I've even spoken to Salaveta, uh, Salaveta in, 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 the, in the hotel, and I could tell in their eyes that they were they knew deep in their heart that they are not better than Canada. But that's that was in Canada. This is in El Salvador. Now, I, different context because they're so far out of it, but they're still getting results at home. I agree, but even in slow pitches like we saw in, in Honduras, because Canada is now out of that fear of... The conditions and whatnot. I don't think. Yeah, true. Um, they, true. Quality in, wins. Individual quality will prevail. Yes. That's, that's all I can yes. say. Is at some moments players will slip up or yeah. whatnot or horrible refing. You know, it'll start raining as, yeah. as, as, as it always does whenever Canadian teams, mostly Forge, you know, play there. Um, but at some point, you know, Canada will have time and space. Which I mean, ask the Salvadorians. They love that. That they do. Sticking with the Victoria theme. In terms of who could replace them here, how the back line could look, just before we get into our full predicted 11s here, Vaness at Vans underscore Jets asked, who's in for Vittoria? Ditto for JL at usually underscore Thirsty. He said, uh, do any other defenders need to come out, either for arrest or for card management? And Supersonic Saga asked, with Vittoria suspended and probably slated for a rest regardless, what does the back line look like against El Salvador? So... Who would be your favorite to replace Vittoria? And then do you think there could be any other changes to the back three or to those three guys who do play centrally? My first thought was Henry. Henry has played sometimes the less important matches. I mean, heck, Henry played against the U.S. in Nashville. He did. And, and did quite a decent job. I could see that happening, but for the time being, I definitely think uh, that, I don't know, just something tells me that we won't see the same back four this time around. Uh, because Vittoria is sort of the guy that keeps everything together. Like, you're, you're talking a different back four in terms of, like, it, it's not just going to be Vittoria being swapped out for someone else. Like, there are going to be other changes elsewhere. Exactly, exactly. Okay. I, I, just, I just think that, you know, Herman will, will try and give rest to someone like Johnston. And then, once I get to my, in the predicted 11s, could see something new for a change. Uh, but obviously someone like uh, Cornelius uh, could be missing out, as, as we've seen. I do think it's going to be Scott Kennedy replacing him, myself. I think that's going to be the only change, though. I think they're going to roll Johnston and Miller because at the end of the day, they don't play a competitive game for two weeks. Johnston has 290 minutes under his legs. He's played all three games before. And Miller looked pretty damn solid, considering he hasn't played a competitive game since November. So I think both of those guys will be leaned on again. And... I don't think rotating your defense, even if you think you are the, the favorite and you shouldn't have many problems getting the three points, it's never a good idea to mess too much with the defense, especially when in every other game, on average, you're getting a clean sheet. So clearly that's working. Why fix something that isn't broken? That's how I see it, at least. That's true. And Kennedy is also a fast learner. Like, the guy learns fast. He does, with yes. With only six international caps... The guy has looked like someone who's played 30 mm -hmm. games for Canada, which is insane because Victoria has that around the same amount. Yes. Uh, but also the fact that he committed to Canada late, late in, yes. in his career. Yes. Kennedy is actually quite a decent replacement for Victoria too because they're both very good in the air, but Kennedy is more athletic than Victoria is. So he would actually be the perfect central defender in a back three to have because he wins aerial duels. He's averaging 5.4 aerial wins per 90 with Jan Regensburg this year. He won seven out of his 10 aerial duels on Thursday against Honduras. 
And that is pretty impressive considering how often they went direct in that game. And you imagine El Salvador is going to, at times, go a little direct, although they tend to play it on the ground a bit more under Hugo Pérez. But if they do, at least you've got someone there who can kind of clean it up still, because Miller's not too strong in the air, neither is Johnston. So at least you still have someone there who can be that like-for-like replacement. That's why I think it's a good idea. And then you don't have to risk Daniel Henry, who not only can be quite rambunctious, but has not played in a while. So that's kind of a double whammy there. So on the subject of rotation... Ken MNT at Canada Soccer Guy asked, would you give a lot of the bench players a start in San Salvador? He mentions Ugbo, Cornelius, Henry, Cavallini, and Gutierrez. Couldn't you foresee any of those guys getting a start? Yes and no. And the reason I say that is because he's still out for blood uh, due to the fact that the job's not done. And he probably still wants to be responsible for eliminating El Salvador mathematically because that also includes Canada's chances right. in the long run if everything goes badly in March, which it shouldn't. But listen, man, I, you will never know what you really have in the tank unless it's proven. Someone like Gutierrez, someone like Ugbo, who we saw play a couple minutes. Look decent. Yeah. You have to give them some minutes either now or in March or wherever the case is because... Nations League. <laughs> Look, man, if Canada qualify, and this is where it gets interesting for me, you can afford to make changes. I mean, heck, I mean, Herman made four of them. Uh, to make an entire new 11, I just could not see it. What I, what I want people to understand is, just because Canada qualifies, that does not mean that Herman's not going to try to get more points. Because if Canada want to get a very favorable group at the World Cup... They have to keep winning. They have to get a pot three spot. So unless you want... To get a really difficult group, which sees the unlikeliness of getting past the second round into the round of 16, you have to get a good group. Yeah. And by playing guys like Ugbo, starting guys like Ugbo, even though I think he would, you know, be fine, be more yeah. than fine. Uh, I think the risk becomes more guys like Cavallini yeah. and Gutierrez, where you know the, mm. there is some question marks there if they can go the full 90. Um, you still, nonetheless, are having risk if you don't always have your best team out there, because no question about it. Gutierrez is inferior to Arakuga. Especially, as you said, if they want to boost their world ranking to get a better pot, they have to keep winning games. That's and the honestly, only way you're going to As long it. as that happens, I am okay with Herman being an absolute savage. <laughs> I'm just putting our best team forward. Because, let's not forget, Ugbo and, Kavali, Ugbo and Gutierrez are captain, right? Yeah. So it's not There's like no the, there is no uh, rush uh, whatsoever. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So... Let's get into our predicted 11s now. Stefan Ostakio, who was a major, major talking point before this game, he joined the team in Hamilton. He warmed up before the game and was initially listed among the substitutes, but wasn't able to get registered in time due to how late he arrived. That's per Gareth Wheeler of One Soccer. So as a result, even though he did warm up, he just did not end up featuring in the end. He wasn't made available for selection. And also being sacrificed for this game was Adiba Hutchinson. Um, so he's going to be rested for El Salvador. With this in mind, how do you see Canada lining up, based on everything we have said so far? 11 will be Borion Adekube, Miller Kennedy, a back four, with Larea. Um, Henry doesn't get in for me for the reasons listed. Okay. Uh, Atiba will be rested, so he'll be back and giving the captain's armband without a doubt. Eustachio, mm -hmm. uh, if he's healthy, he will come back in. I think he will. And if Eustachio is not ready to start, at least start the game, then I think it's going to be Fraser. I don't see mm -hmm. K getting another start. Neither do I see it happening to Osorio. Um, so that would be the double pivot there. For me, David stays on. I think Laren will get a rest. I think he needs it, and I, there's no guarantee. There's no rush to get him now that he's broken the record. He can kind of breathe. I kind of see the opposite, but continue. Here's the wild card. Because Buchanan didn't do well against the U.S., and you can't have a two... Because Herman likes to do this, where he has a mixture of experience and youth in his 11s, which I personally really like, because as long as you can have a two-experienced team or a two-youth team, I think it kind of changes things. I think it's going to be Hoylet over Buchanan. Uh, Liam Miller has to start for me because at some point you have to trust him. He was really good in November. 
didn't get the goal ultimately in the end. I think he gets a chance. That's my one wild card, and Ugbo gets a start. See, I find it weird because you just talked about how Herman's going to want to play like most of the starters to boost the world ranking to get the job done. But now you've listed all these all these wild cards. So, so what, what are the difference? What I want to happen and what I think will happen I see. Okay. are two different well, things. Fair enough. Fair enough. Herman's mind is. The way that we are pretending it, yes. what I would want to happen, I think Ubo is more than fine. I don't foresee too many surprises happening um, for the reasons that we literally just discussed in that they still need to mathematically secure qualification. And El Salvador away is still a, at least on the surface, a tricky challenge just because they do have some success there. For these reasons, I... For C, this is what I feel Herman's going to do. Borean stays in goal, of course. Johnston Kennedy Miller, as I discussed when we were talking about Vittoria's replacements. He's going to stick with Lorea. Estakio Hutchinson come in because they've partnered together for the most part whenever both of those guys have been called up and available. Hoylet is going to start in this hybrid midfield slash forward role, I think. And then you're going to have Atakubi on the left. I think Laren starts because he's had the fewest minutes, so he'll have the slightly fresher legs. He's played 40 fewer minutes or so than David. I think David then gets a little bit of a rest for this one because I do still foresee Buchanan starting. The reason I say this is I understand the partnership with Laren and David is rekindled, but I cannot see Herman dropping Buchanan even though he wasn't at his best today. I will admit that. And I know he trusts and values Hoylet, but... El Salvador in that game against Canada could not handle the combos out, out wide through Buchanan and Lorea. And that's why I see them starting in this game on top of Atakubi and Hoylet to give even more threats in those positions. Because that's where the game's going to be won or lost. El Salvador is not too great in those areas. Canada is. They need all the strengths they can get on that side. Buchanan had one really not good game, which is going to happen. What matters is recovering in time for the next game and doing well. And I don't think he's going to get dropped for that reason myself. And correct, Peter. I mean, you bring it up. Uh, I think El Salvador will likely look to park the bus and counterattack. But look, for the first time, uh, we don't have uh, a guest in uh, two months' time. Crazy. I know. Uh, that's crazy. You know, we didn't even think about it until just now. But uh, nonetheless, we will do our best job to scout the opposition. Mm -hmm. Um, because obviously you get your answers on the questions. Uh, Peter, honestly, pretty quickly before we wrap up the show, uh, how do you see El Salvador approaching this one? They tend to play with a 3-4-3 in possession, but usually have three midfielders on the pitch at once. So it's a very fluid shape, kind of like Canada plays. That's why it might behoove Canada to have three guys capable of playing centrally. So maybe that's why Hoylet's a good option to have in there. But there's a very dynamic, hard-working midfield off the ball with the pressing. They get a lot of recoveries in the midfield, in the middle of the pitch, and then they counter the other way. That's kind of how they do it, especially at home. It'll be easier to cope with that press based on the conditions, because it's only going to be projected about 23 degrees Celsius by the time kickoff happens in San Salvador, similar to San Pedro Sula the other night. So that's beneficial. Um, but that's how I could see El Salvador approaching that game, and that's also how I could see Canada being able to exploit them, is in those wider areas, because they have their strengths out there. Definitely not down the middle. I mean, we definitely have seen them you know, do... Uh, surprisingly well, you know, down the middle and catch teams, you know, yes. on, on set pieces. You know, you look at Costa Rica, you know, even I didn't expect that to happen. No. But that's why CONCAF results have been so varied with other teams. Canada's been one of the consistent ones, but yep. you have seen teams like, you know, El Salvador going and against Costa Rica and beat them. I'd be surprised at least if Canada doesn't get off to a really quick start. Um, because just like in the other two games exactly exactly, <laughs> just in the other two games because they just have so many weapons man that they can use to surprise El Salvador El Salvador's game is almost too predictable to the point where they don't have many strengths so if they do go out it's almost like yeah Herman and company have already done their due diligence and their homework on them 
Very true. Um, prediction for the game. You were right on one, incorrect on the other. I've been wrong on both, so you have the advantage. Uh, what do you think? 3 nothing again. Okay. I really believe that Canada will uh, score a lot of goals. Uh, it might be a little, you know, <laughs> dicey at times just because of the pitch conditions. Um, but again, like I said early in the show at the very top, uh, individual quality in the, in the fields where time and space does happen uh, will prevail. I also think they win. I'm going to go 2-0. I just think that third game in a week, you got guys at differing level of fitness. I feel like once you get the job done, once you get a multi-goal lead and you take the crowd out of it, then I think the job is done at that point. And if you really want to, you can rely on Milan Borian and that defense again to close it out because they've done that in these last two games. They've done it in most of the other ones. What's an 11th game to try and get yourself over the hump? It's also the first window that Canada could get nine points in, Thomas, which is pretty massive. That's another feather in the cap that they could add in there. That is going to do it for us this weekend. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We will be back yet again on uh, Wednesday night, Thursday morning, depending on our schedules, to recap that El Salvador game. Uh, but until then, for Thomas Neff, I'm Peter Galindo. We will see you in a few days. <laughs> <laughs>